Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. our series, Re- Rebuild, where essentially this series is we are looking at the rebuilt vision of LifeHouse. I talked to you in the first message in this series three or four weeks back. I talked to you just about how we at LifeHouse have been in this, re- in this rebuilding phase. And so the thing is this, right? If it's your first time here, welcome. One more time, LifeHouse family, can we just give it up for all of our first-time guests? If it's your first time or you're somewhat new here, this, this series really is going to give you the heartbeat and the DNA of our church. If LifeHouse is your home church, this is going to share with you more about the rebuilt vision that we feel God calling us to at LifeHouse. And here's the thing, right? When, whenever a pastor shares vision, let me tell you what could possibly happen is you feel like, oh, great, something more I've got to do. You can be like, I just want to come to church just to receive. Like, I don't come to church to be thrown on more responsibility and more and more because I know you've already got that. And let me tell you this. This series is not based on trying to give you more to do. This is saying basically what our heart is for you because the church is not an organization. The church is not, you know, something, a social club. It is the hands, the feet, and the body, and the representation of Jesus. And so, so, the, so the thing is, whenever we're sharing this with you, it is... It is not saying we're trying to get something from you. We're trying to get something to you. Because the church ultimately is a place where you are trained up to be more like Jesus. Jesus did not say, I came so people would attend a church building. He said, I came so people would be my followers. They would be disciples. They would would be people that say the trajectory and the purpose of their life is to ultimately become more like Jesus. And that is what we're going to talk to you about today is following Jesus. I shared with you a couple weeks back the rebuilt vision statement, if you want to call it, purpose statement of of our church, which is simply this. Lifehouse exists to invite. And and a couple weeks back, I shared with you about the power and purpose of that word, invite, where we want to say God God is the great inviter. We're not trying trying to... to force you, make you say you have to, or coerce you. God invites us. And as a church, we, we want to have we want to be the most inviting church of saying, come and try this way of life out. Yeah. So the thing is, life house exists to invite all people to live in an uncommon life. And that word uncommon we get from John 10:10, 10, 10, which simply means 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 this abundant life. Whenever he said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly, we simply mean by that, that that word could also mean uncommon, which simply means different, not normal. And so he's saying, we want to invite people to live an uncommon life. And then we have four steps that we think an uncommon life looks like as we look in scripture. And these are the four things we don't want to get from you. We want for you. We want for you. It's four steps. And the first step today, 
So basically, over the next four weeks, I'm going to be talking to you about these four steps. But today, I want to talk to you about the first step, which is following Jesus. So Lifehouse exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. And today, I want to talk to you about following Jesus Let me say this starting off. It is very uncommon in our world today for people to follow Jesus. Now, I didn't say to be intrigued by Jesus. I didn't say to be inspired by Jesus. I didn't say to see Jesus as a good luck charm. I did not say see Jesus as a good teacher. I did not say see Jesus as being a cool historical figure. I said it is uncommon in our day for people to follow Jesus. And when I say follow, I simply mean to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, that word disciple isn't typically used in our culture. You don't have anyone saying there's not a school called the disciple school of Jesus. There could be. But, you know, that word disciple in our culture isn't a buzzword. It's not a typical cultural Word. So honestly, I like the word apprentice better. That basically, when you, are, when you are a disciple, you become an apprentice of Jesus, and that word fits better. We even have a school right down the block from here called what? The Apprentice School, where you are learning to do something in a certain way. You're going to train under and with someone that should know what they're doing, Somewhat, right? And, but, but at the same, same time, right? Like whenever I think of what is, what is a disciple, I think a better culture word for that is an apprentice. And the thing is this, right? Whenever you think about what is an apprentice of Jesus, it is somebody who is learning not to just do what someone does, but to become who somebody else is. And that is the biblical definition of discipleship. When Jesus called to his 12, and he was like, follow me. He wasn't saying, come and get my knowledge. Come and get my great insight, my great wisdom. He was saying to them, I literally want you to become a represent, like another me. That is why even in, within the early church, Christians, it says they were first called Christians in Acts chapter 11, and that word Christian simply means little Christ. Like there was, there was this expanding move, movement of little Christs, of people that were like acting and talking like and being like Jesus. And so whenever we're talking about being an apprentice, it's not just knowing biblical knowledge. It's not just having wisdom, but it's literally saying Jesus becomes the point in the trajectory, in the, in the direction of my life. He is the goal. So whenever I say that is uncommon, I think that we would all say, even within the church, unfortunately, that is very uncommon. Now, you might say, John, I can't leave my life like a disciple and just like follow Jesus. I got what's called a job. I got these little things running around. They're called my kids. They've got to be fed. Like, you know, and, and here's the thing, right? Like, I think whenever we talk about that term to discipleship, apprenticeship, and following Jesus, we can sometimes think, well, I can't just leave my life. But there is, I I think that's a wrong definition of what we're talking about, apprenticeship and following 
Jesus. Dallas, da- Dallas Willard, who is sort of the Jedi when it comes to following Jesus and discipleship and about this concept of apprenticeship to following Jesus, says this that I think helps us have a really good definition and framework about what I'm talking about. He says this, and as a disciple of Jesus, I am with him by choice and by grace, learning from him how to live in the kingdom of God. This is the crucial idea. That means we recall how to live within the reins of God's effective will, his life flowing through mine. Another important way of putting this is to say that I am learning from Jesus, and here's the key point, to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. I'm not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I am learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. So as a stay-at-home mom, the goal was to say, this is going to sound weird, if Jesus was a stay-at-home mom, what would it look like? If Jesus was a pipe fitter, how would Jesus fit pipes? If Jesus was a janitor, what would a janitor look like? If Jesus was a school teacher, what would it look like? If Jesus ran a production company, what would it look like? The point isn't saying you've got to leave all. You say, Jesus, how can I bring you through me to the world around me? And how can I bring your way of doing things into the world that I have and the context that I have? That is what an apprentice is of Jesus. And when we talk about following Jesus at Lifehouse, it's saying how can Jesus' life flow through? How can you learn to do life from him in the world and context that you are in? Let me tell you a thought here. If you are not intentionally following, if Jesus is not intentionally the direction of your life, then you are unintentionally or intentionally going away from Jesus. That's a strong statement. And some of you are like, well, the force and power of culture and even our own messed up selves is way too strong for us to, 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 to basically, if we are not intentionally saying, I am following Jesus, there is no turning back. If your resolve is not that strong, the culture around us and the agendas around us will infiltrate. They will steer you. They will pull you. So if you are not intentional, then you are unintentionally or intentionally not following Jesus. That is how strong and how holistic and how complete the call of Jesus is. And I wanna talk to you about that because I, my desire for Lifehouse is that we are a church that follows Jesus. We are not here to play church. We are not here to have a large church. If God grows us, praise God. But I don't want to have a church full of people that look nothing like Jesus. But y'all clapping now. But I hope y'all have that same excitement. When you realize the cost. When you realize the price. When you realize. But, but also, too, whenever you realize the rewards. Because y'all look, here, here's, the, here's the thing. Discipleship is not a Jesus thing. It's a culture thing. Political parties are trying to disciple you. They're trying to shape you and form you into their ways. Companies are trying to disciple you. Companies, culture. The United States is trying to disciple you. 
might say, hold on, John, what are you talking about? Let me tell, tell you about the cultural core values of the United States. And tell me if these are not true. And tell me if you don't feel the weight and the pull and the tsunami of this being forced on you and telling you this is what it is. The three cultural core values of the United States is yourself, your happiness, and your truth. Yourself, your happiness, and your truth. Self is king. It's embedded into our language. Selfie, self-help, self-care, self-whatever else you want to do. It's basically saying you look to the God within, and then you'll find who you are. You look to the God within, and then you'll find who you were created to be. Happiness, the pursuit of happiness is even built into our constitution. That you are to have the ability to pursue your happiness. So whatever makes you happy is your goal. It's also saying, you, you know, and here's the thing, live your truth. Your truth. Your truth. Your truth. Yourself, your happiness, and your truth. So what happens when you have Jesus who comes along and says things like, deny yourself. Not, not, not live for yourself, but to deny yourself. What happens when you have Jesus who came and said himself, he said, my happiness is to do the will of him who sent me. My goal is not my happiness. Because I can guarantee Jesus' happiness was not, I want to go get murdered on a cross. His happiness was to, I want to please the one outside of me. I want to please the one who, who, who I'm serving. Jesus did not say, live your truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. He said, truth is not subjective. It's objective. It's not built on what you deem truth to be. Jesus literally said, I'm God, I am truth. And that wasn't a Oh, I'm better. It was more of an act of love of him saying, if you don't want to be confused about what truth is, look at my life and me because I'm God. It was an act of love. So what happens when you have a culture marinating you? I mean, we're like in a crock pot. Thousands of marketing messages a day. Yourself, your happiness, your truth. And then we have a call from Jesus, who said, don't look inside yourself to find God. You look outside of yourself to the God that created you, to the God that made you. He did not say your, Jesus did not follow his happiness. He followed what made his father happy. Jesus did, did not follow some truth he wanted to make. He said, I am the, the truth. So what happens when you have a culture and a kingdom that are clashing? Now we find the crucible of why following Jesus is so hard. You're being marinated in a culture and you have a call from Jesus to live completely countercultural to what the culture is wanting you to do. So how do you do this? I'm so glad you asked. I can just <laughs> can see it. I can feel it. You're like, John, help us today. Well, I want to help you. As we're talking about following Jesus at LifeHouse, we want to break it down into three R's. So when we look at the life of Jesus, when we, when, when we look in the totality of scripture, I feel like when, whenever you break it down to kind of its simplest form, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I believe it's, you can really break it down into three 
R's, and the first R is this. You've got to reckon. Reckon. That word, reckon, simply means to compute, to calculate, or to weigh the cost. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus, Scripture says, uh, Luke, so the thing is, Luke was actually a, uh, Luke was a doctor who was also a historian, and Luke actually went out and gathered firsthand account interviews of Jesus' life and put together an account of the life of Jesus. And one of the things that he documents here in Luke chapter 14 is he documents Jesus. He says large crowds were following Jesus because he had just done something for them. So I think he had probably fed them or he had healed, healed people. So he had a bunch of people following him. And then it says Jesus actually turned to the large crowds and essentially said, if by comparison, let me, let me read this. He said, if by comparison, if I'm not first, you cannot be my disciple. You must count the cost. Like he was telling the crowds this. He was like, if by comparison, your spouse is above me, it's gonna be hard for you to be my disciple. If your job is above me, it's gonna be hard for you. If, if there is something above me, and he wasn't being mean, he was lovingly warning them. And that's why he even brought up a couple examples. He's, he said, think about somebody that builds a tower. Don't they first calculate the cost to see if they have what it takes to build this tower? Then he talks about a, a king that's going to war. He says, don't you think a king should weigh whether the fact they're gonna actually win first before they go to war. And then he said this, those that follow me have to count the cost to see if they really know what they're getting themselves into. And that's one thing that I think the church, including us, has not done a good job of, is here's the thing, we have told people Jesus will fix you, heal you, restore you, and that is true. Jesus will meet you at your deepest need. We see it. We see him meeting people at their needs but at the same time he will meet you there but then he will tell you also too this is not just about me fixing you this is about you following me and there is a cost and I apologize if pastors like myself haven't told you that that we haven't been upfront and we've told you things like Jesus is gonna is like the tooth fairy he's gonna make everything better just follow him. Everything's looking better. Your relationships, your finances. And you know what? God, in his grace, that happens. But I want to let you also know that following Jesus, for some of you, will feel like you are losing. It will feel like you are a loser. It will feel like, it'll feel like everyone else in your family and your friends is just doing better than you are. Like, why do I care? Like, they're, you know, like, well, why do you care about morality? Live your truth. And then you're, you're being tied up on my truth isn't the truth. It's his, he's the truth. It's going to feel like you're losing. It's, it's, it's going to feel like the cost is high. But I want to let you know that Jesus knows what it's like to be looked at as being a loser. Because in the Roman culture, he was a loser. When you look back on Jesus' life, in that time, in the Roman the, the Roman Empire, when Jesus was murdered on a cross, no one was saying, he just won. No one was saying, look at this man, he's just won the war. He's a winner. 
they looked at him and, they, and they, he, was a, he was just another revolutionist that was murdered on a cross by the Roman government. The re, the, all of the religious people were like, see, he was a false teacher. He was teaching from Satan, and they looked at him as being a loser. But let me ask you right now, who is being still worshipped 2,000 years later? It ain't the Roman Empire. It ain't Caesar. It ain't Augustus. It is Jesus. Because he might have looked like a complete loser then, but he knew that he was paying a cost that he would reap the rewards later on. And the life he looked like that was a complete loser then, and he paid the cost. Now he is sitting high and above all thrones and powers, rulers and authorities, ruling and reigning right next to his Father in heaven. The cost was definitely worth it to Jesus. And you are going to feel the same way. You're going to have the, I'm, I'm just warning you lovingly, as your pastor, you will feel like you're losing because the culture's telling you, like I said, you, 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 and Jesus is saying, deny, deny, because as you deny, you'll find the true you that I created you to be. As you, so, can y'all, I, I told y'all I was going to get a little fired up. But here's the thing, we talk about the cost, but let's talk about the rewards, I think some pastors sway too far to one side. They just tell you, following Jesus is going to suck. And then you got some people telling you, following Jesus is going to be the best thing in your life. And it's, it's going to be a little bit of both. There's going to be a cost. But even his disciples, like that's what I love. Like even the disciples were like, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. We've left everything. Matthew, 9, Matthew 19. This, this is what the apostle Matthew documents. He said, and you know, like, literally, the disciples came and said, Jesus, we loved everything. To buy. And this was Jesus' response. He wasn't bashing them for asking about the reward. This is what Jesus said. He said, and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Jesus was saying, yes, there will be a cost. But as you pay the cost, don't forget there's a reward, too. Not just in the future life, but also in the life of right here and right now, because what do you reap? You reap love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, what our world is paying millions and billions of dollars to have access to. They're living in million-dollar houses with decrepit souls. Their kids hate them. They're, you know, it's, it's like Jesus offers you something that the world can't give. So, yes, there will be, but I'm not going to guarantee you nothing either. I'm not going to be like, just do this, 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 and your life will be perfect. Because even Peter, when Peter was being restored, like Peter denied Jesus, Jesus comes, comes to restore him. And P when Jesus restores him, Jesus tells him what's going to happen to him. Jesus literally tells him, yeah, you're going to die. You're, you're going to get martyred. And Peter's like, but what about him? He was talking about the apostle John. And he was like, but what about the apostle John? And basically what Jesus told him is, you worry about your life, brother. <laughs> so, follow Jesus. Let me, let me tell you something. All right, actually, hold up. Secondly, reckon, yes, you got, you got to count the cost, but also to know that there are rewards. You've got to reckon, you've got to compute the cost. But secondly, the second R is 
this, you got to repent. You got to repent. Now, for those of you who have been wounded by that word in church, or you've been wounded by that word because you've seen it written on signs being thrown against a people group, or you've, or you've heard it and it's been a big word that has just tried to make you feel like the worst person in the world, that was one of the first things that Jesus said whenever he came on the scene was, was this. He said, from that time on, and that was from when he got baptized, he says, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now that word repent is obviously translated from the Greek language, but the thing is this, the word repent within the Greek language doesn't just mean to feel sorry for doing something. It also means, and here's the key word, rethink. Where Jesus came and said, I, I want you to rethink everything about your life in light of the kingdom and the values that I am going to bring. The way that I explain this and the, heart, and the way that I hope our church hears this word repent isn't you suck, repent. It's rethink God has something better. And the, the, the way that I do it is to think about poker chips. Now, I know this isn't the most Christian thing to do. Even in churches growing up, they were like, if you play cards, you're going to hell. So this is how far we've gone. We've got poker chips in church. So, uh, But it's, 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 it's like whenever you think about your life, right, like the, the way that we explain rethinking is we tell people go all in. And all in is a poker term that simply means you've got Faith enough in the hand you've been dealt to take everything that you have and go into the center and bet on the hand you have. And now whenever we say that, though, we say think about each part of your life as a chip. So let's, let's say you've got money, relationships, your vocation, your kids, your hobbies, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm just kidding. I just, you know, just, that would definitely be, I mean, I, I, got, I got to give the Jaguars over daily. Um, your sexuality, your psychological life, emotionally, your physical health, your hobbies. Do you just see how layered this gets? Of how Jesus doesn't want you to say, oh, here, you, you, can, have, you can have those. But the other things, now, I'm, I don't know if this is good enough. Or, you know what, here, you know. But what, what we typically do, and me included, so I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching, like I'm about to get myself saved. I'm about to like do an altar call up here and get myself saved. Because what we typically do is we give everything, but then we typically got two or three things that are harder for us to give in. Let's just be candid. We got two or three things that we're like, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about Jesus, what you trying to do? You want to put your finger where? You, you want to get where? You, you're talking to me about what? And I'm telling you, it could be five years to get rid of one. 
And what I hate is that people will judge people for holding on to two or three chips when they got two or three chips, but they think their two or three chips are worse than the ones they're, they're, they're holding. <laughs> people need time. People need the God, they, they need safety, they need time to figure things out. Some things are deeply embedded. But it, yeah, it could be five years to get rid of one of those chips. It could be another seven. Well, you know, you should just be changed quicker. And 20 years in, got a lot, still got a lot to change. Still got chips that I need to turn over. So when we're talking about, about repenting, what I'm challenging you to do and what I pray that our church does is I think you can go all in and still have grace to say, I'm, I'm still trying to figure this out. Jesus, Jesus wants all of you. Because even Jesus says, it won't work if you give him half. It won't work if you give him three quarters. You can go all in and still wrestle with what Jesus requires. It's the facts. It's the truth. It's so hard. It's so hard. I love what C.S. Lewis says whenever he's talking, and this is a lengthy quote, so please stick with me. It's good enough, I promise. Okay, but this is what Lewis said. Do we have that quote? Okay. That is not it. Do, do we have the other? Okay, all right, all right, all right. So here's the thing. This is what Lewis said, right? He, he said, when I was a child, I often had a toothache. And I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night and let me go to sleep. But I did not go to my mother, at least not until the pain became very bad. And the reason I did not go was this. I did not doubt she would give me the aspirin, but I knew she would also do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists. I knew they started fiddling about with all sorts of different teeth, which had not yet begun to ache. They would not let sleeping dogs lie. If it gave them an inch, they took a mile. Now, if I may put it that way, our Lord is like the dentist. If you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. <laughs> Dozens of people go to him to be cured of some one particular sin, which they are ashamed of, which is obviously spoiling daily life. Well, he'll cure it all right, but he will not stop there. That may be all you ask, but once you call him in, he will give you the full treatment. Jesus, let us be a church of full treatment. Let us be a church. I, I'm telling you, if you are here, he'll fix your relationships if you do them his way. He will heal your body. He will heal your mind. He will meet you at your deepest need. But my exhortation to you is don't let it stop there. Because as, as a pastor, I've seen so many times, God will heal a different, will heal a relationship in their life. And then once the requirements and the call of Jesus gets deep, they bail. Because they did what Jesus wanted them to do. Oh, he fixed the relationship. Okay, thank you, Jesus. I'm out. Jesus would feed people. Feed them. I mean, he fed the 
5,000. And people were like, yo, this is Jesus feeding us. This is Jesus feeding us. They follow him. But then when he said something that would require devotion, see you. Y'all, I pray that that does not define Lifehouse. That we are a place. He will heal. He'll meet you at your deepest need. But also, too, I pray that you would invite him in and say, Jesus, give me the full treatment. Everyone say full treatment. Full treatment. Reckon the cost, but also, too, know the rewards. Repent. Go all in. And thirdly, reorient. And that word reorient could also mean reprioritize. And that simply means you, Jesus doesn't revolve around your life. When you put him, he goes to the center into where all of your life revolves around him. Because unfortunately, in our culture, people like to see Jesus as something you just, what, add on to your life. So he fits in there with sports. He fits in there with different hobbies, with work, with travel, with all of these different things. And Jesus just becomes something else we add on to our life, and if he can fit in, wonderful. If he can't, whatever. That was not, Jesus did not come to fit into your life. If, if he can squeeze in there. Jesus came to be your life. Jesus came to be the very center. So, and I'll even share this with you to let you know how crazy sometimes pastors can miss the mark in this. We had this moment in service uh, a couple years back where, I mean, I typically like to run a pretty tight ship when it comes to our service order, mainly because I know I preach long. And just because I'm like, okay, you know, it's like, a, where's that preacher, you know what I'm saying? And, and there was this one time in worship where we, where, um, you know, like, you know, like worship was dying down and, and we had somebody speak in a public tongue. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like spoken in a public tongue, like stuff that we did not know what was going on. And I'm just sitting down, worshiping, and I'm like, oh, my God. Never had that happen at LifeHouse ever before. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I guess this is why I'm the pastor. Better get up here and tell people what the heck's going on. Got up there. We had somebody interpret it, and it was a God moment. I mean, it was a God moment. But at the same time, I felt like whenever the service was over with, I felt like God, God told me, thank you for giving me a couple moments of my service. I was like, dang. I'm sorry, Jesus, that I even tried to had to fit you into your service because I was just so laser focused on what I wanted done. So I'm not yelling. I'm, I'm, I'm saying there are different ways that, that this applies. But here's the thing, right? Typically, we say is something right or, or is something wrong. So, 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 so typically, people try to say, well, can you drink alcohol? Is that a sin? And this is my favorite thing of being a youth pastor that teens would always ask me, how far is too far physically in relationships? Can I kiss her or him? Right, you know, it's, and it's like, so they were trying to find the line, right? They were trying like, where's the fence? Where's the, where is the electric shock on the fence? And y'all that have kids know what I'm talking about. Because you will tell your kids what the fence is. And they will go to the fence, and they will dance around the fence, and they will tap the fence, and then they'll jump on top of the fence. Then they'll start jumping on top of the fence, and then they jump over the fence, and then you just want to hurt them. 
You're like, that's why sin is powerful. That's why sin, I know sin is, Adam and Eve, that spirit is in my kids. That spirit's in your kids. That's you, you know that's true. That's how I know the desires, you know. Adam and Eve, the story of Adam and Eve isn't just for, it's here and now in the warehouse. My three kids. But, you, you, we typically say, what is the line and can I get, and I think that's the total wrong question. Especially when it comes to reprioritizing Jesus at the center. Instead of something being right or wrong, you have to develop this ability to ask a question and seriously answer it. Will make me more like Jesus. Is drinking a sin? I can't look in this book and say drinking is a sin. But you have to ask yourself, is that going to make you more like Jesus? And you can say, Jesus drank wine. I agree. Okay, but you've, you've got to be real with, with you. You've got to be real with you. Here's the thing, right? Right now, Jackson, he got invited to be a part of this traveling basketball league. I'm like, okay. How often are we traveling? Because I can tell you what won't happen is my son missing church every week. Because it's not about whether basketball is right or wrong. I love basketball. I'm glad Jackson's playing. There is nothing inherently wrong with basketball. But I will not communicate to my child that basketball is more important than worshiping with the people of God. I won't do it. And I know... At the same, same time, might he miss a couple weeks? Yes. But at the same time, Christianity for us is not a Sunday. It is a lifestyle. Okay? But I will not disconnect him from a local house of worship, from a local church community, so he can get better at basketball. And I'm not knocking anybody. So I'm not being judgmental. I'm just telling you about what does the thought process look like. Of, here's the thing. Parents, you can equip your kids academically. You can equip them emotionally. You can equip them fi- financially. But if you don't show that the house of God is a priority, you actually bankrupt them. Because they will have a value system that, that, that says Jesus can fit into my life where he fits. And if he doesn't, well, we got busy. We got busy. And it's not just about church, but the thing is this, right? What We know this. What you do and where you spend your money shows what you prioritize. Like, I can guarantee if you're a basketball team, you never showed up for practice, what would they think? Nope, ain't a priority. So why do we get all legalistic about church? Church isn't a building. You're right, it's not a building. It's, it's, it's not, but at the same time, there's something powerful when you set aside time in your week to prioritize something. It's not about if it's right or wrong. It's, it's, it, it's, it's not about is, you know, 
buying this house. It's like it, there's nothing wrong with buying a house. But even in those little small choices, you have to say, is buying this house going to help us become more like Jesus? It's being in this friend circle helping me become more like Jesus. It's having this job that requires 70 hours per week making me more like Jesus. It's less about right and wrong and more about asking the question and, I, and seriously from a truthful heart answering it. And then prioritizing your life in accordance to what the truth is. Let me say this. Reckon, you count the cost, repent, you rethink everything, go all in. Thirdly, reorient, you make Jesus the center now. Let me tell tell you this, following Jesus is a response. I hope today you haven't heard, just try harder. I hope today you have not heard, just get more willpower, grit your teeth, and just follow harder. (sighs) Because let me tell you what following Jesus is. It is simply a response somebody that followed first and that's Jesus following is a response to what Jesus has done for us so I'm not telling you follow because just, just no I'm telling you and is the and this is what Paul said in Romans 12 he said this I beseech you and that's a <laughs> I beseech you that's That's King James right there. That's King James. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. So basically he's saying, church, I I plead with you. By the mercies of God. Basically saying, in in light of all you've just heard me write in this book about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, you've been justified in in God's sight. You are going to be sanctified. You're going to be glorified. The fact, the amazing grace that God gives. In light of everything you've just heard, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, basically saying get on the altar and you are a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. And then he says this, which is your reasonable service. Then he says, do not be conformed to this world. Like realize the world is trying to conform you, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Repent, rethink. Do you guys see this? That you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect ones. In other words, that you may live out this goodness that God has given. Go back really quick. I wanna focus on this word reasonable. Basically what Paul's saying is y'all, the most logical response that we as humans being can deduct from the goodness of God is to give our lives to him. It's only reasonable. He's like, it's two plus two. Equals four. All that Jesus has done, when you follow him, it is a response to his goodness. We don't follow out of trying to earn his goodness or earn his love or earn something from him. It's a response of us saying, in light of what you've done for me, the most logical, reasonable thing that I can do in turn and to respond is to follow you. Come on, yeah, let's give God some for y'all. This is good news. This is what the good news is, church. This is what our world is longing for, to be loved not by the stuff you produce or by what you do, but because of who you are. And that's what Jesus says, I'll love you as you are, but I love you too much to keep you that way.
I've got more for you. So any decision we make to follow, to reckon, to repent, and to reorient is done in simply response to what God has already done, to what Jesus has already done. And this takes out you being forced. This takes out you being coerced. This takes out you doing it just because you feel guilty or shameful or condemned. And it basically says, if God is that good, I want that goodness. And I'm going to respond. And I'm just not going to go, here you go, Jesus. Here's a chip. You can have that. No, I'm going all in, Jesus, because of what you've done for me and the life you promised me. So whenever I call you, church, to follow, Whenever our leaders at our church call you to follow, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it feels like you're losing, I pray that you would be reminded today, yes, there is a cost, but Jesus paid a cost. So you're not doing nothing that Jesus hasn't done. And he says he's given you his Holy Spirit, the same spirit that lives in Christ lives in you. So you can pay the cost, but you got to be aware of the culture and Y'all, this is my pastoral gut spilling over. I, I, I want us to have a church that follows Jesus, that considers the cost, constantly rethinks, and is consistently saying, is what I'm doing or living, is it making me more like Jesus? But we do it out of a heart that says, in light of what Jesus has done, the only reasonable response we have is to follow. Can we stand up? Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us next Sunday online or in person. For service times, visit lifehousenn.com.